we are in Philippians chapter 1 at verse 27. This uh, passage is four verses long. Go see the end of the verse. End of the verse. End of the chapter. And these four verses have a transitional ring to them. And uh, for us tonight, it may not have a transitional ring for it because it's been about two months <laughs> since we heard what we're transitioning from. So I'm going to kind of catch us up a little and then talk about these four verses tonight uh, so that we know why there's a transition. This transition is important in this book and there's a couple more you'll see. And uh, the Apostle Paul is very... I want to say circular in his thinking, but I don't mean he goes around in circles. He's cyclical in his thinking. In other words, he'll lay a thought, he'll build on it, he'll come back around to it, and then he'll add another layer. That's what I mean by cyclical. Until the thought is fully developed and you end up at a different place with a different thought than what you started. That's what I mean by cyclical. And and he's very intentional about this. And sometimes he comes about this in steps transitions Um, sometimes the words he says take a little bit of unpacking but this is our end of the first chapter of Philippians where he says this beginning at verse 27 only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of your affairs that you may stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict you saw in me and now here is in me. One of the ways you can tell, and this is the end of this um, chapter, when Paul's making the transition, one of the ways he does is he tells a personal story. Or he makes personal reference. And he does this quite a bit. You'll, you'll notice he'll, he develops this thought, then he goes, and as for me, and this is what I'm about. And some of those places where he boasted in... Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 uh, and Romans uh, 6 is a great, powerful chapter. Then he says, but I find a different law at work in me. He talks about his own experience. Then he goes to chapter 8, that great chapter, one of the most powerful chapters in Scripture. And then he transitions again. And he's always using personal stories to do so in Romans. Uh, In Philippians, we're going to see where he talks about how he has caused to have reputation and, and uh, honor, but he throws all that away. That's personal stories. He, he tells his personal stuff and then says, my personal stuff doesn't matter in that transition. And, and each time he uses it, he develops the point further and moves to the next one. And so that's kind of where we're at. But I wanted to catch me and you all up with uh, this chapter so we know why there's a transition here. And... Uh, Early on, we learned about his thankfulness for the prayers 
and for the requests of when they prayed that he would request they pray for him and they did so and they have this fellowship together in the gospel and his prayer for them was that their love would abound more still and more and more in knowledge and all discernment he's praying for the Philippian church to have that and then he says what I really matter to me is that Christ is preached and whether I live or not as long as Christ is preached that uh um, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We talked about that verse and how uh, suicidal thoughts and ideations come standing against that verse. Uh, and then he's, uh, the last time we were together, it, we talked about the fruit from our labors and the needfulness of being, for Paul to remain in his flesh that He would stay and help them grow in their joy of their faith. And we talked about joy of faith. That was the theme last time. Joy of faith. And, and that they are rejoicing for Him in Christ that Paul has said, I'm coming to you again. Okay, And that's the last thing he says in the verses before the ones we read. So, to set that up as his statement, he says, your joy of your faith at hearing that I'm coming to help you grow. Now, this is the verse why it's transitional. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel whether I don't come or do come. If you're just showing off and having this gospel conduct, the character of Christ, because I'm coming to see you and you want to be doing the right things when I come, don't do that. Do this regardless that you walk in the faith of Christ whether or not anyone observes or whether the Apostle Paul is coming to see you or not. Because it's not about the Apostle Paul coming to see them. Their walk with Christ is not about the Apostle Paul. Their walk with Christ is about their relationship with Jesus Christ, not their relationship with Paul. And here's why. Because if Paul doesn't come, they'll be disappointed. They'll say, well, we were acting you know, godly and doing all these wonderful things for God and, and you didn't come, so we're just resentful now. That's not going to work. Right? And so he says, that your conduct be worthy whether I come and see you or I do not come and I'm not there because I'm going to hear of what you do. I'm going to hear of your affairs. And so you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I mean, I've heard uh, whole sermons on just that part of the verse. That we stand together in one spirit with one thought, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And with this morning's message on faith, couldn't we just have had a whole another uh, part two of this morning just on that section? But I, what I what I want, what I mean by that is, when Paul hears of this church, he wants to know that they've stood fast, regardless, whether it be Paul coming or not coming, whether uh, good times or bad times. I want to hear that you stood fast in the same thought of spirit, which is first right, and then in one mind, and striving together. Now. You might think, well, if you're striving together, then you have the same mind and the same spirit. But that's the outcome of the same mind and same spirit. It's not 
we're striving together, therefore we must have that. It's you have that, therefore that happens. Again, this is evidence of the same spirit, same mind is working together for the kingdom. Now, I think it would be real simple to pull this out of out of thin air of any church that's not working for the kingdom that, that they don't have the same mind. Or the same spirit, or both. Wouldn't that make sense? So if you see a church that's not producing fruit or not trying to do things, or just what, what they call a Sunday morning church, um, where, where the, dark, the doors are dark the rest of the week, that kind of church is uh, not striving together. They're not fighting. And they may have a great worship service, but they're not doing anything. They're not changing the world. They're just getting together to worship God and then leaving. Nowhere in Scripture does that ever say, even for the uh, Jewish faith, that that's what it's all about. Even the faith that the Jews says, you give alms to the poor, pour out your tithe, you praise your Lord, and you, you help one another. You love each other. And, and if it's just about getting together and worshiping God. We're in for a rude awakening. And, and what's funny is, um, according to Scripture, our eternities are not just going to be sitting around praising God all day. Someone once said, I'm going to be bored sitting around praising God. It doesn't say you're going to be doing that all day. It says that's part of it, but you got some work to do. Got to help Him run the kingdom. It says you will be priests and co-rulers with Jesus Christ. If you're priests and co-rulers, does that mean you're sitting around praising all day? you got some ruling to do and some priestly work to do. And you're going to think, well, a, a priest, why do you need a priest in heaven? Because a priest in heaven still has some things got to do. Some sacrifices, not sacrifices like living sacrifices like or altar sacrifice, but of the sacrifice of praise for once and, and helping others in the same manner working together to praise God. And co-ruling, it... it it's it's kind of crazy, but if you had just your share of this known universe, you'd have one trillion stars to work on yourself, or three trillion for just yourself to rule over. If you had just your share, it was divided equally, right? That's just this universe. We don't know how many other stars and parallel stuff's out there, but I'm telling you, that's going to keep you busy learning their names. And God's already given each star a name. So you're going to have to learn all those names. How long do you think it's going to take to learn three trillion names? And their locations? And their particular characteristics? So you can tell it when to shine, which star to praise God at which time, and how to praise in course, and teach them to praise God together. You're teaching stars. That's just part of your job. I don't know how to teach stars to praise God. Well, it's because we haven't learned and we have not perfected praise ourselves. But Scripture says He perfected praise out of the mouths of infants. Out of children. And yet we think we don't know how to praise. Well, the truth is, we started making it a complicated thing. The most powerful praise in my mind is, God, you're beautiful, I love you, thank you. Your mercy endures forever. Not complicated. God isn't going, oh, that was horrible. (laughs) 
If you ever heard of T.D. Jakes, he did a sermon one time about the praising in heaven. And, and Scripture records this. It says that the angels in heaven bow down before Him and raise up and praise Him. Bow down and raise up and praise Him and do so throughout all eternity. And, uh, and he said, it may seem like a monotonous thing to do, but he says when they put their heads down and they look up, there's another part of God they didn't see every time. A praiseworthy part of God through eternity. Something glorious about God. So every time, oh wow, God, you're awesome. Oh, you are so beautiful. And just praise Him for that attribute. And then bow down and worship and come back up and see and I go, oh Lord, you are so amazing. Another. And just overwhelmed with God's glory and greatness. And that's what the angels do throughout eternity. I'd never forgotten that illustration. The angels there have been doing it since eternity. And they've not missed a single time of raising up, seeing a new characteristic of God that they can praise Him for. That amazes me. And it's not like, oh, He's going to smite me if I don't praise Him. It's like, wow, God, you, you are who You say You are. And there's so much more. How can my mind comprehend it? Our minds cannot. We, as human beings, can't even fathom that the God that has this great big universe even has that much and more inside each atom, inside each molecule, inside each cell of our body. That intricately known of us. And He knows how they all go together. And and yet, that's little bitty inside each of us, and there it is, great big on the grand scale. And He did it in six days. You don't want to praise that? I'll give you another one. He put the earth on a 23 degree axis. Or is it 22 and a half, Brad? 23.5? Okay. The axis on which the earth is, if it was a point degree one way or the other, because it's angled toward the sun, our seasons would not work. Less than a tenth of a degree, one way or the other on that axis, our seasons do not work. Our polar caps don't work. All of it doesn't work. There's, there's a lot like that. Yeah. Every time you turn around, there's another fact about God that's amazing. You go, wow, that's incredible. Man, I, that's amazing. And, and you could fill books and books and gigabytes of data and still not touch any of the beginnings of the how infiniteness. Do, how do the scientists deny that there is a God? Because what they can't explain, they can't worship. There's, I mean, the, the general... Thought, I think it's called the weak anthropic principle. They say that there's, you know, because everything works perfectly the way that it does, there's no need for a God to to manage all that. But who do they think made? Well, that, that's that's where you know. I mean, I believe everything that you can read in a science textbook, but you know, I believe that God put all that in place, you know, for that very. Yeah. Well, in, in Romans, fantastic scripture, it says that the universe and this earth show forth the glory of God. There is no excuse for people to say there is no God. That there is a God and our creation shows it. And to deny God is to deny because you're not even looking at creation. Uh, I was reading and I was 
I've never heard this story. They said they taught it in classes, and I've never heard this story at all uh, until this week. So if you've heard it before, and I'm repeating it, I'd like to know when you heard it, because this is brand new to me. But there was this teacher trying to explain the concept of eternity to his class. And he said there was a river. And on that river was um, a flat piece of land that stretched for miles and miles and miles. On the other side was a great big mountain. And uh, a little bitty bridge, one person's size wide, went from one side of the river to the other. And that there was a little boy given a thimble. And he said, I want you to go to that mountain, get a thimble full of that mountain, and put it over here on this side. And you continue to do that until that entire mountain is on the other side of the river. One thimble full at a time. How long is that going to take, right? And the teacher said, that'll just be the beginning of eternity. Tie a string from tie tie somewhere here on Earth and tie the other end of it on the moon, and you have one ant that can pick up as much as he can carry from here, drop it off at the moon, and come back. And by the time he ends up transferring the whole Earth from here to there, that'll be like the first tenth of a second of eternity. Yeah. I mean, if you if you think about it, if you really really think about it. It blows my mind. I mean, I can't. No, that's what I'm trying to say. And that's why people don't understand why they, eternity will not, of, of praise and worship, will never be boring. You will be so overwhelmed and amazed. And, 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 and the truth is, when, when you look at yourself, you'll go, David was right. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now we get the fearfully and wonderfully made stuff in our mind, but we really don't know what that means. That God was intricately weaving every fiber of our being, every fiber of our lifetime, organizing everything so everything fit together down to the molecule, to the universal aspect of things, moving it all together, in six days. I'm lucky to get a math problem solved in six days. I'm lucky to get something that makes sense down in one day. But all of it? Including this moment? It was on his mind and he knew it and saw it when he began to put the... There's no way. Because you, you... Well, this connects to this, connects to this, and this moves over here, then this thing over here is different, this thing's over here is different, this thing's over here is different, this thing's over here. And you do it to the molecular level throughout history. I don't know how he does it. And I don't want to know. Because it'll make my mind so full, it'll pop. I can't think like that. So... We stand fast in one spirit, striving together for the faith with one mind. And when churches don't, you see the divisions. And you see churches without fruit, without anything other than basic, rudimentary 
outward appearances of a Christian faith, but no action. And so Paul says in verse 28, and I hope, and this is what is, this is why, and, oh, I hate this. This is great. <laughs> he says, isn't that a funny statement? I hate it. It's great. <laughs> he says, in no way will you be terrified by your adversaries. I'm going to see you with the right affairs, doing the right things, that you stood fast, your mind together, one faith of the gospel, not afraid of your adversaries. And of course, they're under persecution constantly for their lives, whether they be exposed or not. They had to hide their churches. Um, which is to them, your adversary, is a proof of perdition. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. What he's saying is that you're not afraid of those who can challenge you and kill you and destroy you is proof that you don't know what you're doing. Because you're not afraid of those men who can destroy you for doing things other than what they think you ought to be doing. That's proof you're in rebellion. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? But to you, this is proof of your salvation. Because you're not afraid of those who might destroy your body because you're confident the God will bring you home whether in the body or not. If you don't have that kind of confidence, you're going to quilt in the face of your enemies and you're not going to strive together when things get tough. You'll start to nitpick, argue, and the relationship inside the church is going to fall apart. It happens other areas of our lives too, but truly in the church. For he says in verse 29, To you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only just to believe in Him, but that's important, but also to suffer for His sake. And that suffering is when those who would tell you that the gospel of Christ is pointless begin to become adversarial in your life. That's when your suffering begins. But you believe in Him, that suffering. And we haven't, in, in most of my life, I haven't had to worry about believing to the point of suffering. Maybe to the point of embarrassment or rejection or people going, why do you believe in that stuff? But no one ever threatened my life because of it. Never. And that doesn't mean it's because... I don't believe right because we're not in a society that does that yet. It's coming. It's coming. And having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And the conflict is this, what Paul said earlier, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. When your adversaries start to crowd in on you and life becomes uncomfortable, it's almost like, I'd rather go home and be with Jesus. But I'm going to stay here for the gospel's sake until I can't reach anybody else. It's kind of like what Miss B was saying. I don't feel effective. Who can I help? Who can I bless? And the answer is, she doesn't see any hope there. And I said to her, maybe you can pray for Dale or George. And your prayer might be the one that heals them. And when I said that, she looked at me like I just said something that wasn't very nice. But while you're here, pray. Can't do anything else, pray. Let Jesus know you still love Him. 
And you're still praying for his people, for his church, and for the things he loves. You may not feel like you're doing much, but prayers are sweet incense to the Heavenly Father. And so, we come kind of full circle again, don't we? That in heaven, the priests pray. And, what, and, and, and this, really, this really was a question that I struggled with in Scripture, why Jesus needed to pray if He was God. Why would He need to pray if He's God, right? Well, why would He need to pray for Peter if He's God? You can just say, well, Peter, you know, you're going to have tough times ahead, but don't worry, I, I'm, I got this. I'm not praying for you. I'm taking care of things for you. He didn't do that. He said, I'm praying for you. And so, in my mind, it tells me there's a little bit of something about prayer I missed there. If Jesus prayed for His disciple, He's praying to the Father. Right? About Peter. So if we are like Jesus... There's a priest and a co-ruler with him, then we're still praying as priests and co-rulers because that's what he's doing now. Jesus is praying for each one of us. And so we'll be praying for each other in heaven in eternity. And I believe that. And those prayers, we'll get to see them land right at the Father's feet. So I pray then for each of us that we have the tenacity, the courage, and the faith of Christ in us that causes us to have one spirit with all believers, one mind with all believers, striving together for the faith that's in the gospel. There is nothing else we need to be doing together if we're not doing that first. So that's my prayer. I was just thinking about this family. I know she feels like that she's totally useless. But you know, I've, I've read... And I, well, I've seen patients in that even on their maybe not on their deathbed, but when they are at their lowest physically, they still can be a blessing to others. You know, it's God can still use His feet be an example or to to the people that's taking care of her. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she could be a, such a blessing in in having a a good spirit. I guess is what I want to say. You know, being appreciative and being thankful, mm-hmm. and you know, and that she she doesn't realize how much that means. To people that take care of her. Well, she's past realizing that. Well, I think. Oh, she she doesn't realize that she she doesn't believe that she could be a blessing right now. 
I mean, I think that she can get to that point. That's why I said to her, she can pray for those folks. And and hopefully, somewhere in the recesses of her mind as she's thinking about that, that she'll do something a dear friend of mine did back when she was 102 years old, laid up with a broken hip in the nursing home. And, and she was a light of love to the people around her, right? Mm-hmm. Laid up in the bed, broken hip. You know, that's going to be a while when you're 102 to recover from. And a nurse going in there to change her. And this lady reaches up, hugs her, tells her love her, and says, I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can pray for? Prays with this nurse. And this nurse comes out bawling, saying, that little woman got more strength and faith than I got. Uh, because she loves. And Miss B has been a blessing to all of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I think she's to the place that she doesn't think she can be now. Right. And we could all get to the question. But, but I think if, if we pray for her, that, <coughs> that should be our prayer. Not it's, only that she's healed, which I don't, you know, we don't think she will be in reality, but that she can see herself as a blessing to other people because that will give her some joy 